Right, gang? You like to watch new stuff, right? I mean, who doesn't? I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama, a new season of The Kardashians starring the Kardashians, of course, and Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, the internet, and welcome to this episode of the Weekly Zeitgeist. Uh, These are some of our favorite segments from this week. All edited together into one uh, nonstop infotainment laugh extravaganza. Uh, yeah. So, without further ado, here is the weekly zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miles, it is a full. It is. We needed. We needed this for our system. We've we been having all these it. damn experts on mm-hmm. lately. We needed intelligent a, guests, thoughtful guests, intelli- thoughtful, intelligent guests. <laughs> we needed a pure chaos episode. We are thrilled to be joined in our third seat oh, yeah. by a comedian, a writer, an actor, stand up albums, Blake albums, stuffed boy, live from the pandemic, all debuted number one on iTunes, Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. His album, 12 Years of Voicemails from Tuglass to Blake Wexler, charted on Billboard. Please welcome the hilarious, the chaotic. He's riding a recumbent bike in short shorts, and his plumpers are on full Woo! display. It's Blake Wexler! This is Blake Wexler, a.k.a. I have a special, a stand-up comedy special, <laughs> but zeitgeist my peak. I have two plumpers. Ooh. What the hell am I doing here? I am wow. a Wexpert. I'm a Wexpert, baby. This Woo! is iHeartMedia at its finest. Blake Wexler, I'm joined by Jack and Miles. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my God, we're going to our show now, too. Yes, yeah. I have data. We're going to dive into the data. We're going to talk to the people <laughs> on the ground. And we are going to say that they're wrong. Say up top. <laughs> Dude, dive right. in. Dive in on that. <laughs> we have data that we're diving into mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to bring up the electoral map here. That's and right. I'm going to show That's you right. which you know groups are reporting as yep. of mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. Blake, mm-hmm. 
How are you doing, man? <laughs> this is the electoral community college. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's not. It's it's a two year associates. Yeah. I'm doing great, guys. Thank you yeah. so much for having electoral me. Electoral online college. Yes. Phoenix University. Yes. Phoenix. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this Phoenix will not rise from the ashes. Uh, it is. Will. It has burnt itself to death. Uh, but yeah, no. It, I'm I'm so psyched to be here as usual. It's great to you have guys you. start we'll a little late. We're busy yeah. integrating the uh, Damian Lillard trade into our mm-hmm. into our beings, into our personhood. Mm-hmm. Didn't see that coming. It's hard. Is he even going to play for me. them? Didn't he? He only wanted to go to Miami, right? And now this... he's going to the Miami of the North, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, <laughs> Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want a body if... of water up there, right? One of those one of those great lakes. It's like I'll be yeah. in charge of that. Yeah. He's like, you're not going to Miami, but the team does have M and I in the first two letters of the city. Yeah. So you got to read some... it. You got to read the whole word. I mean, I that paid attention to the opening sound and the ending sound of the <laughs> word city that he was Ma- asking me. to be traded to and me. nothing in between. <laughs> me. me. <laughs> I think this trade is really fun. Uh, I know this isn't our NBA podcast, yeah, but yep, I yep, think yep, it's yep, fun. Yep. It brings Damian Lillard, puts him on a team that gives him a real chance at winning a title yeah. makes Giannis relevant again Giannis is probably our most fun and lovable celebrity basketball player at the moment so I'm I'm here I think for it's James it. Harden <laughs> I think wow. James Harden's the most fun yeah. wow, wow, wow. you know lovable right. one I think we can nothing. take our yeah, anyway. self-hating Sixers fandom off the uh off the mic off but Miles My- yeah. mm-hmm. suggested a good new new line for for us when people ask if we're Sixers fans that we we only recognize one team of Sixers. Yeah. Uh-huh. Miles, you want to tell them what it is? The January Sixers. Yeah. That's, that's the only <laughs> that's the only Sixers I recognize. And I'm not a fan of them. And I don't even know no. about another <laughs> another group. <laughs> Carmen, we do like to ask our guests. Yeah. What is something from your search history? <laughs> well, I'm sure. I was going to say, your first topic is a good one, but uh, we'll go back to the no-fault divorce, but I'm going to tell you, you know what? And this is not even a plug or anything, but um, Carrie Washington's new memoir, she's just doing interviews and it just came out. And here's the thing. I had to to Google it because I'm reading everything about it. I haven't gotten the book yet, mm-hmm. but she also, like me, found out that her biological father was not who she grew up with. Oh. Oh, wow. And... That was kept from her her whole life until she got booked on, you know, Henry Louis Gates Jr. Skip Jr.'s show on PBS. Oh, for real? Yeah. And then I'm not telling you anything that's not out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they contacted her and she was all excited and her parents were excited until they said, well, you need to do a DNA test. Oof. And then wow. her parents were like, oh, excuse me, Carrie, can I talk to you? <laughs> Will you take a second? Yeah. We have something to tell you. That is the premise of the show. So, yeah. 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 So, um, and it's funny because she, I mean, this also happened to me as well, which is what I write about. But what she describes really, really well, which I so appreciate because it's not necessarily something people would think about is she, like me, grew up our whole lives knowing something was wrong something Mm, was off right almost like feeling like something was wrong with our bodies like we didn't things didn't match up and that and it was really uncomfortable it's very like a subconscious thing and it lots of anxiety and perfectionism all this sort of stuff just happens and you don't even know why right and then this all this stuff comes out and you're like oh my parents have been 
keeping the truth from me my whole life. Mm, right, and you right. imagine living with them and then, then they know and every time they look at you. So yeah. all to say, people, please talk to your children. <laughs> tell, right. them the truth. tell them the truth. Please tell them the truth. Right. Um, but that was my last, that was my last Google search. Yeah. Are you on uh, like how radical is the radical honesty with the kids? Are you like a oh. no Santa Claus thing? Or are you like, how how, how far are we going? Are we saying like look, straight up? Look, no, Santa listen. Claus is a thing your friends no, believe in because their parents are liars. <laughs> right. First of all, my child figured it out before I even had to say it. <laughs> <laughs> she's yeah. like, she's that kind of kid. She's like, she's my kid. She was like, so I know who you are. <laughs> I know who you are, Santa. So you can yeah. stop it. But please keep writing it on my presents because it's cute. Right. But I think that, you know, like she she mentions as well, Carrie, is like when the secret is another human being. Mm. Right. You got to talk. Right. Yeah. Like right. you're creating... Basically, I say to people, it's like, look, uh, and I get asked this a lot when I give talks. It's like, well, well, what is it? Is it entitlement? Like, what is it that makes you feeling it? Look, a secret is yours as long as it's yours. But when mm -hmm. you create another human being, that is no longer yours. That is right. actually a person. Right. So it's no longer a secret. It's a human. Right. And we can say as parents, like, well, you're my kid. Listen, kids do not, please, everyone get this through your head. Kids do not belong to you. They are yeah. not belongings. They are people. So mm. you must treat them as such. Mm. And they're separate humans. And you need to treat them that way. And part of that is being very honest about right. how they came about mm -hmm. and what's going on in your life. But I will tell you, the funny thing is, I don't, my daughter and I, we talk a lot, but <laughs> one of my nieces said something about my first husband. I can't remember how old my daughter was, but she was like maybe 10. And she was like, you've been married before? Like, she was like, you haven't kept this from me? And it was like, I was like, girl, I just didn't think about it to tell you. Like, it was a long right. time ago. And it's so that's not a secret. It was right, just right, I right. just didn't think about it. But it was it was hilarious. Right, right, right. If, if I think if like to your point, like if a secret alters someone's total understanding of themselves and the world they live in, it's yes. like, no, 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 th then yes. that's not a secret. That's a potential like psychic bomb that yeah. you have to diffuse as quickly as possible. Yeah. Tremendous mm. bomb. And it affects your whole like It literally affected me from the time I was a kid. Like I remember it. It's definitely there. And you can't subconsciously carrying a secret like that and then living with your secret. Right. Like how? What does that do to you and yeah. your relationship with that person? And my thing is like, look, you keep secrets and lies from people that you love. That creates such a big distance. That person can't be your real friend or your real like love or your real whatever. Like where it's just a huge distance that separates you from people you love. So right. kibosh it. Don't do kibosh. it. Kibosh. Come Don't clean. Mm -hmm. have, the, come clean. have the courage to come clean. Dr. McInerney, what is something you think is overrated? I feel like I'm not going to win myself any friends. I'll be like, how to like, lose friends and stop influencing people. But all the <laughs> Disney live action movies, I've hit a stage where I'm like, no more live actions. Like The Little Mermaid was beautiful. I love the original Cinderella. But, you know, I don't I don't want to see more and more of like the same movies again. Like it makes me a bit sad. I'm like, what other stories? could be told yeah. if it weren't like always making these live actions but you know maybe i'll be proven like totally wrong and the next ones will be amazing but i'm ready for something else just yeah based on everyone's first like sort of reaction like oh you saw it how it was and they're like yeah it was okay no one was like it was so good 
I'm going to see it nine times. Everyone just kind of, I think they're, they have to reconcile like their love for the original source material with that and not fully be like, I didn't like it. They're like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, inter- yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's, yeah. You know, it's like their voice just goes up. Yeah. Five <laughs> well, you know, it was like, I'm glad <laughs> I spent my afternoon going to that. I think that's right. I, I've never been more confident in a prediction about the future of a like subgenre of movies than in saying that they're not going to suddenly figure something out about the Disney live action reskins of the animations. Like we we know what the original cartoons look like and what happens in them. We know what is possible here. <laughs> like right. I can't I can't imagine a version like what what they're gonna pull out where we're like oh no that is not <laughs> did not see that one coming whoa that bear is talking and singing <laughs> hold on oh they already did that that, that was what? the best one i think was jungle book and that was uh the first one they did and ever since i feel like yeah been diminishing returns Man. although i didn't see the little mermaid so i cannot speak to that one is but. you what's your favorite genre of film though dr Carey? Oh, I mean, okay, so I really have a soft spot for like old school superhero movies, but my like most recent, most amazing film I feel was the latest uh, Into the Spider-Verse film. What was it? Spider-Man yeah. Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I love animation in that film. It's so witty and the visuals are extraordinary yep. and it's just great films. So I wax oracle about how much I love these films at work yeah, and yeah. everyone has to deal with me being like, Go watch it. So anyone listening, go watch it. It's amazing. Favorite favorite spider character, spider person in the universe? Oh my goodness. I can't remember the name of it, but the like really like the really like dark noir run for the first one. He's like from like all those like nineteen thirties kind of oh, like yeah, very yeah, dark yeah. mystery films. He's all in black and white. Yeah. I kind of love that. Yeah, yeah. Was it was it just Spider Man Noir? Is that it? Yeah. I think yeah. that's noir Spider Man, maybe. I don't know. Or I'm sorry, Spider Man Noir. Nor, what is, when you say old school superhero movies, do you mean like Christopher Reeves' Superman? Or are you talking about like the, the original? The first Iron Man. The first Iron Man. <laughs> uh, I think it's almost like less like specific films. I love like almost films that have that like really cheesy, like origin coming of age story. Like, mm. you know, it's really just about like they're discovering themselves and it's such a simple narrative. And like, I feel mm. like I should crave more complexity than that. And I should want it to be more nuanced stories, but sometimes it's just really satisfying. And you watch this clean cut narrative of this like good guy yeah. defeating all these bad guys. And when I want to relax, I really enjoy that. In my day job, I think about lots of like complexity and nuance yeah. and like what we do with the future of society. And so, you know, right. sometimes I find it very relaxing just to be like Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah. I lo- love a Joseph Campbell type flick. <laughs> just give me that hero's journey in every It's all going to be form. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing's going to go wrong. <laughs> Challenge your old self to become your new self. Yes. yes. <laughs> But Doc Ock is a is an example of what we're facing with AI, like in the immediate future. I think we can all agree on that, right? Spider Man Two. In a way, you're like it's giving me the equivalent of like eight arms. In a way, <laughs> you're like, oh boy. We're... <laughs> what is something, Doctor Higgins, that you think is underrated? 
underrated asking people for help and i know that mm. I, like i know that some i listen to the show daily and i know people have such good responses but that was the only thing that came to mind for me in terms of underrated and so that's why i'm on the show come to my live show on october 11th yeah help fill <laughs> the seats come come listen to us babble about absolutely nothing but no seriously asking for help and i think i'm the older i'm getting you know i think that there's this you know and, and again this could be the social justice in me, but I think as, you know, a marginalized person, we're always expected to have the answers to everything. We're always supposed to be the person like the, the world teaches you to be the smartest person in the room all the yeah, time. Right. And I've just gotten to the point now where it's like, yes, I have a doctorate, but I'm still not the smartest person in the room. Like, wouldn't would anything say, like, support me, bitch? Like, that is literally how <laughs> I feel all the time now. Like, I'm like, if I need help, I'm going to ask. I'm not that right. girl that's like, I've got it together. Like, I'm good. Like, my life is great. No, my life is literally three seconds. It's a string from falling apart. So, like, <laughs> please help me. Like, if you can help me in any way, whether it be, like, you know, giving me, you know, a network or an email or a connect to something like right. I'm, I'm never below saying help me. Right. Because this life is hard. Like just it's it's really, really hard. So, oh, yeah. And yeah. I think there's also, yeah, there's people don't want to want to struggle in public. That's a huge reason why people don't yeah. ask for help or yep. act like they, they yep. aren't like they got their shit all figured out. But it is, it is like the most liberating and sort of like life affirming thing when you ask, for, like, you'll be surprised you ask for help the help that you will receive from mm -hmm. people that are like in your circle. And I think that's yeah. also one of the underrated aspects of asking for it is like, you will also realize like, damn, I got, yeah. fucking, I got people in my corner. Yeah. yeah. I'd say this is probably the most underrated thing of my adult life. Yeah. This is, this is a great underrated. It's Thank something you. I've had to do for like mm -hmm. addiction issues. I've had to do in like, it's made my marriage better. And just in, in terms of it being good at good advice, we did this thing, like there's this hack, yeah. one hack that Ben Franklin wants you to know. <laughs> but there's this thing that Ben Franklin talks about that he realizes this like counterintuitive thing that if you ask someone for a favor, they and they do the favor for you, they will like you more. Mm, and mm -hmm. it's a weird because you're showing vulnerability and there's like something like subconsciously of them like doing something for you, like their their brain is like, well, they must be cool then because I just did this mm -hmm. thing for them. So yeah. it's like it's all around like just being willing to be vulnerable enough to ask for help opens this world of possibilities and increased, you know, just everything it, right. it, it makes your life better and richer in so many ways yeah. you know decreases loneliness which is such a huge problem yeah. like right now yeah and all that being said i can speak about it for uh, a long time and like i still don't do it enough you know yeah. neither yeah, right. do i because it's yeah. hard it is hard and i think i was going to say real quick i think a, a really important thing is you know, masculinity is as a is a as a like a thing, right? Whether you talk about toxic masculinity or masculinity as a whole, like we're all three men. And I think so being even even for me being non-binary, there's still this presentation of I'm male presenting to people in some way. And so I'm mm. supposed to never be emotional enough to say, I'm struggling. And I, I actually had to like acknowledge that a couple of like days ago, like two weeks ago, I was literally mm. sitting in my office going, 
Like here comes the ideations. Here comes the like, no one loves you. No one cares. Like you're, you're feeling very alone. So I had to hit my therapist back up and I had to say like, Hey, I'm going, I'm, I'm literally slipping into this mindset again of being lonely and feeling like the world doesn't need me here. Like I need help. And she was like, you know, let me get you back in and, you know, let me get you back on the roster. And so I think that that's something that like, I try to emulate in everything that I do that like, just because you see, you know, the shows and you see me on the network and you see me on TV and you see me with, you know, celebrities. I I mean, I went to dinner with a celeb friend of mine just this weekend. People are like, Oh, that's so cool. I'm like, yeah, but we were sitting at the table, literally almost crying with each other because we're all <laughs> struggling. Like we're all going through it. So yeah, it's, it's just, you know, ask for help. Literally yeah. like people are not going to judge you for asking for help. So yeah. And that it's mm-hmm. okay to be struggling. I think that's the other hard part is like, whenever yeah. I start getting like, you know, I start f- having, I start ruminating on shit or whatever. It's like, man, you don't fucking feel why you get your shit together, or whatever. It's like, no, yeah. man, that's not, yeah. that's not how you get out of it. You get out nope. of it by being like, okay, okay. That's where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. Let's try and find a way to sort of pivot to something that feels a little bit better and then incrementally get out of there. But the yeah. whole like brute force of like, I don't need to feel like this. Damn it. Like it's, yeah. It, guess what? It only mm-hmm. makes shit worse. Yeah. What if you, can, you just yeah. said no to sadness though? Ah. If you just said no. Like to drugs, yeah. Like <laughs> it, I don't know. That that seems well, just, just like so kind of a no brainer to me. Yeah, yeah. it's just going to make me do more, more sadness. <laughs> That's right, more drugs, <laughs> more sadness. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back. And speaking of sadness, we'll talk about the Republican Party and <laughs> how things are going for them. We'll be right back. Zeit gang, customers are rushing to your store, but do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it, you know, like a literal POS? Well, you need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Connect with customers in line and online. Look, you want to use TikTok? Well, guess what? They have plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns on platforms just like that. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Now, I was looking at Shopify.com, and I'm trying to get some answers. Let's say, uh, you know, how to bustling retail business and i need you know maybe uh, some hardware to be able to sell my wares on the street take credit card payments whatever and i know shopify is easy to use half the time i buy something online i'm like oh yep they're using shopify and if you need to learn more check out their website it's super easy to navigate whether you have questions about how you can optimize your inventory or again looking for hardware to make sales easier shopify.com has all of that just go there check it out so sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash tdz all lowercase, go to shopify.com slash TDZ to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash TDZ. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. You like to watch new stuff, right, Zygang? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where 
first-class luxury meets world-class drama. And don't miss the new season of The Kardashians, uh, starring The Kardashians, of course. And season five promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set on the tropical Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island. And secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. And we're back. We're back. And Dr. McInerney, as mentioned, I am an idiot on this AI stuff. I think I generally have, like, my my version of AI up until... Last week, I guess, like re- yeah. researching for our last expert episode was what I had read in, you know, mainstream articles that went viral and films, mo- like Hollywood films, and then like messing around with OpenAI and or uh, ChatGPT. So I, I had this kind of disconnect in my mind where it was like, from an outsider's perspective, we have this... C plus level like copywriter thing with like in chat GPT, GPT four, and then like the godfather of AI, who I'm just trusting people is the godfather of AI. But that's what I, everyone uses that same phrase. They're like the godfather of AI just quit Google and says we're all fucked in the next couple of years. And I think it's confusing to me because I don't know exactly like I can't even like picture the way how he thinks we're fucked. And there, there was this letter that was like, we need to pause development on, on AI for in the near future. And I guess I'm just curious to hear your perspective on that pause letter and what, what the kind of dangers of AI are in, in the near future. Yeah, because to Jack's point, too, also, we were talking with uh, Joao Sadoc last week uh, at NYU about it and like at the end of it we're like okay so it's not skynet right from terminator and they're like oh great but then we realized there's a raft of other things that come along with just not being the terminator so yeah that's i'm also from a similar perspective where i always assume skynet yeah i mean i think you're totally not alone in the dominance of ideas like skynet and the terminator because so much of our cultural framework for understanding what AI is comes from a very narrow set of movies like <laughs> The Terminator, like The Matrix, which always positions AI as something that's going to dominate us, it's going to take over the world, and it's going to control us. Um, and it's important to, I think, highlight that that's definitely not the only ideas that we have about AI. We've got thousands of years of thinking about our relationship with intelligent machines. And there's a lot of different cultural traditions that have really different ways of thinking about our relationships with. AI and intelligent machines that could be much more positive, much more harmonious. And so I do think our immediacy of jumping to this idea of Skynet is reflective of very much where we are right now, right? I'm in the UK, you're in the US. These are countries that have a really long history of thinking about AI in very binary terms. Uh, So yes, I think it's important that we think about these long-term risks of AI. And you mentioned the pause letter calling for a halt to generating more large language models like ChatGPT until it had a bit more of a moment to think about some of the long-term consequences of these models. But I think it's really important not just to think of the long-term risks, but to think about which long-term risks we prioritize. Because I think the Skynet Terminator fantasy 
eats up a lot of oxygen about how, yeah. how we talk about AI's risks. But there's a lot of different risks that AI poses. So another long-term risk that we don't talk about very much at all is the climate cost of AI, right? Because AI, it's hugely energy-intensive. Data centers require a huge amount of water to function. Uh, and we have this massive problem of e-waste produced by a lot of electronic systems. But that long-term problem of climate crisis is much less exciting. It's really scary. It's really grounded in a lot of our experiences. And so it just doesn't seem to get as much airtime. So mm. that's something that I think is really important, is changing the conversation a bit to say, okay, it's sometimes interesting, sometimes scary to think about the Terminator option, but what are some of the other long-term options that could really shape our lives? Yeah. Like the degree to which the deck is being stacked towards the Terminator option was surprising to me. Like we, we dug in last week a little bit to the two stories I had always heard that are like kind of put into the Terminator version of AI taking over a category. There's the AI that like killed a person in a military exercise that decided to like eliminate its controller and then there was the AI that hired a task rabbit to pass the CAPTCHA test. And like in both cases, those are like the AI that killed a person in the military exercise. Like that was somebody claiming that. And then when they went back, they were like, oh, I was just saying it could hypothetically do that. It and was a thought experiment. Yeah, like, it was a thought what? experiment of what could what an AI could do in the right circumstances. And the TaskRabbit one was more similar to the self-driving car Elon Musk thing, where it was just there was a human prompting it to do that thing that seems creepy to us when we like start thinking about, oh, it's like scheming to get loose and get right. like overcome the things that we're using to keep it hemmed in. So it it does feel like there is an incentive structure set up for the the people in charge of some of these major AI companies to get us to believe that shit, <laughs> like to think to only focus on the AI v humanity, like AI gets loose of its control of our controls for it and takes over and starts like killing people version of it. I'm just curious, like what what are your thoughts on like why 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 are they incentivized to do that when it would seem like you well, you don't want to make it you don't want it to seem like the this self-driving car will uh take over and start <laughs> you know, kill your try, family yeah you start killing to. your family it's so powerful but it seems like with ai they're more willing to buy into that fantasy and like have that fantasy projected to people who are are not as closely tied to the ins and outs of the industry yeah, I mean, I think that's such an important point because it's a weird thing about the AI industry, right? Like you would never have this kind of hype wave around something like broccoli where you say, oh, the broccoli, if you eat it, could kill you or it could like transform the world. And then right. you wouldn't expect that to somehow get people to buy a lot more broccoli. You'd just be <laughs> right. like, oh, I don't want to eat broccoli now. But if right. they were that, like, it's very, so yeah. fucking good and powerful that <laughs> it'll make you explode, like maybe, like the maybe that's what make it is. it even worse broccoli In, that you yeah. can then also eat, you know, right. <laughs> uh, what the broccoli would be doing. Yeah. But I do think that we see this real cultivation of hype around AI and that a lot of firms explicitly use that to sell their products. It gets people interested in it because on the one hand, people are really scared about the long-term and short-term impacts of AI. 
on the other hand, they're also scared then though of getting left behind. So you see more and more firms saying, well, now I've got to buy the latest generative AI tool so that I look really tech savvy and I look tech forward and I look futuristic. And mm-hmm. so it's part of this bigger hype cycle, I think, to draw a lot of tension towards their products, but also to make them seem like this really edgy, desirable thing. But I think what's also interesting about both the stories that you raised is when you looked under the hood, there was human labor involved, right? right? There were people yeah. who were really central to something that was attributed to an AI. And I think that's a really common story we see with a lot of the type around AI is often the way we tell those stories erases the very real human labor that drives those products, whether it's the artists who originally made the images that trained a generative AI through to data labelers, all sorts of people who are really central to those processes. Right. And I know like in the in your episode of The Good Ro- Robot, when you're discussing the pause letter, you know, I think the the... I think the version that we see as like sort of these short term threats, at least the the most immediate way is like for me working in and around entertainment and people who work in advertising and seeing like an uptake in that section, I go, okay, that's easy. Like I can see how a company immediately goes, yeah, it's a tool. And then suddenly it's like, and now you're on your ass because we'll just use the tool now and we don't even need a person to prompt it or we need many, we just need fewer people to operate it. So to me, I'm like, okay, that's an obvious sort of thing I can see like on the horizon. And you did talk about, well, there was a lot of talk of these sort of long-term existential or quote-unquote existential threats, that there were a lot of things in the short term that we're actually ignoring. What are those sort of things that we need to bring a little bit more awareness to? Like, I know you mentioned the climate, um, and I look at it from my perspective, I see like the just massive job loss that could happen. Um, But what are sort of like the more short-term things that kind of maybe are less sexy or interesting to the people who just want to write about killer terminators and things. Yeah, I mean, I think less sexy is exactly the right phrase for this, which is a lot of the short-term issues are very much about entrenching existing forms of inequality and making them worse. And Mm. that's often something people don't really want to hear about because they don't want to acknowledge those inequalities or because it takes away from the shiny newness of AI. It makes it very much like a lot of other technological revolutions (laughs) that we've already seen. And that's super boring. Like you don't want to hear about how the wheel somehow brought about some kind of inequality. The wheel is racist and we all know it. (laughs) The big big hot take from today. But yeah, I mean, something that I look at, for example, are like very mundane but important technologies like technologies used in recruitment and hiring. So I look at AI-powered video interview tools and look at how that affects people's particular you know, likelihood of being employed and how they go through the workforce. And yep, it's less exciting seeming than the Terminator. But again, when you look under the hood and dig into them, you're like, oh, wow, this could actually really, really compound inequalities that we see in the workforce under the guise of the idea that these tools are going to make hiring more fair. And that's a massive problem. Right. So because like the idea with those hiring tools is like, it will actually take away these sort of like demographic cues that someone might use to like, you know, they apply their own biases to. So in fact, it is the most equitable way to hire. But is it because of just the the kinds of people that are creating these sort of systems because they t- tends to be a bit one note that that's inherently where like sort of that like it begins to wobble a bit? It's a mixture. So of course, yes, the lack of diversity in the AI industry is like very stark. It's also sadly in the UK, an industry where For example, women's representation is actually getting worse, not better. So that's a sad slap in the face for a lot of the progress narratives that we want to see. Um, But sometimes it's not even necessarily that 
the people creating these tools have bad intentions. Sure. Maybe not even that they're using faulty data sets or biased data sets. These are two of the really big problems that are flagged. But sometimes the underlying idea behind a product is just bogus. Like it's just a really bad concept. And yet somehow it gets brought to market again because of all this hype around AI. So with the video interview tools that we look at, for example, they basically claim that they can discern a candidate's personality from their face and from their words. So how they talk, how they move, they can decide how extroverted you are or how you know open you are, how neurotic you are, how conscientious you are, all these different markers of personality. To which I would say, firstly, no, there's absolutely no way an AI can do that. This is just a very old kind of racial pseudoscience making its way back right. into the mainstream saying, okay, we can totally guess your personality from your face. Like it's like your friends right. looking at someone's profile picture on like Tinder or whatever and being yeah, like, right. they look like they'd be really fun at a party. Like it's about that level of accuracy, <laughs> right. yeah. you know? And then second, is that even a good way of judging if someone's going to be good for a job? Like how extroverted do you want a person right. in a job to be? Yeah. Maybe in your job, that's really, really helpful. In my job, I don't know how helpful it yeah. is. So there's just kind of a lot of flaws at the very you know, bottom of these products that we should be worried about. Yeah. Just like a C minus level job hiring process. <laughs> like that's what I feel <laughs> like so many of the things like when you get down to them and see them in action, they're like not that good. Like it does feel like the whole thing is being hyped to a large degree. And like, that's something I heard from somebody I know who like works in, you know, le like all of my friends who work in finance or like any of those things, like my brain shuts off when he starts talking about what he does. But he was saying like, he, he pays attention to the market and he was saying there's like a big thing propping up the stock market right now is AI. And it really is like that. That's where so much of people's wealth is tied up as in like the stock market. And it's just tied to like what you can get people excited about in a lot of cases. So it really like the, from that perspective, it, the incentive structure makes sense. Like you want people talking about how your AI technology can do all, all these amazing things because that literally makes you have more money than you would have if they knew the truth right. about your your product. Without being like, yeah. wait, how many seven-fingered Trump pictures can we create? And <laughs> right. be like, yeah, man, fucking dump millions into this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of something that's really come out of the last few years is how many firms just use the label of AI to get funding. Like, I think there was a study a couple of years ago that said like 40% of European AI startups didn't use AI. <laughs> at which point you're like, well, what are you doing? Like, what <laughs> well, we could, though. This podcast is actually an AI podcast because eventually it could use AI. And before we were recording, Miles was actually putting in, he asked an AI to uh, pitch him an episode of Friends yeah. in which the cast and, you know, the people on the, the Friends on mm -hmm. the show yeah. deal with the fallout from the events of 9-11. And it wouldn't do it. So we can't quite claim that we are an AI podcast yet, yeah. but... But we, it did it did do it when I said do a uh, pitch me an episode where Joey and Monica drive Uber. Oh, right. From, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it did. So clearly it because you, know, you can see where these guardrails are. They're like, <laughs> don't do 9-11 stuff, though. That's uh, right. No, but <laughs> don't I mean, do that. so, yeah, I think there's two things we're talking about here, like from from right. one perspective, like 
yes, you, you could put it in the category of like, well, yes, the wheel makes racism or colonialism more frictionless is a word right. that gets used a lot. But like literally in the case of the wheel, frictionless. <laughs> but AI and like a lot of technology is designed to make groups of people and like our interactions and the things that make people money more frictionless. And that's something that you guys have have talked about on, on recent episodes of Good Robot. Like the, the, there is this one example that really jumped out to me that I think was from your most recent episode, or at least the one that's up most recently right now as we're recording this, where you guys were talking about a company that asked a regulating body to make an exception to a law around like a high risk use of AI. And the law said that people had to supervise the use of AI, like just be because it, it seemed dangerous. And the company appealed to the regulating body by saying, well, we just like that would cost too much and we would <laughs> never be able to like scale this and make a profit. And it feels to me like our answer as a civilization to that complaint needs to be, well, that's not our problem. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. then, then you shouldn't be doing it. But instead, it seems like the answer too often, not just in AI, but just across the board, especially in the U.S., is like, okay, well, we have to make an exception so that they can make a profit around this technology or else the technology won't get developed because the only thing that drives technological progress is like the profit motive. But that's, you know, as I think you guys talked about in that episode, that's never been the best way to develop technology. Like it's, it's been a good way sometimes to democratize existing technology, but like that's, I, I don't know. I feel like that idea of you, you have to make it profitable. You have to make it easy on these companies to keep trying different things for AI to become profitable is baked in at a like cellular level at this point in how a lot of, you know, Western colonial civilizations operate. Yeah, I mean, I think too often a lot of the technologies that shape our daily lives are made by a very narrow set of people who ultimately aren't beholden to us. They're beholden to their shareholders or to their boss, and right? So they don't really have our best interests at heart, right? Like, for example, we'll take this whole rebranding of like Twitter to X by Musk. I remember waking up and finding my little Twitter bird replaced with this huge X and just being like, ugh, firstly, because it was part of, you know, Twitter's slow decline. Right. But secondly, it made me feel pretty disappointed or really aware of the fact that one guy could have such a huge impact on how literally millions of people use a social networking platform that's actually super important, you know, to their daily lives and has played a huge role in activist movements and fostering different communities. And I think that's a story we see time and time again with some of these big tech companies, which is not only do they have their own profit motive at heart, they also, they're not beholden in any way to the public and they're not being compelled by regulation to make good decisions that necessarily benefit the public. So I think a really important question going forward is how do we support kinds of technology development that are very much based in the communities that the technology is for? And I think one really big part of that is recognizing that so many AI models, as you mentioned, right, they're designed to be scalable, and that's how they make money, this idea that you can apply them globally and universally. And I think that's a big problem, partly because it often is really homogenizing. It can involve, like, exporting a model from the U.S. usually out to the rest of the world. It's probably not actually appropriate to use in those contexts. 
But also a lot of really exciting and good uses of technology, I think, come from these really localized, specific community-based levels. So sometimes I think it can be about thinking smaller rather than bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I th That was like another thing that struck me about like just all the warnings and even in that pause letter is sort of like the presumption that it's like, well, all you motherfuckers are going to use this. So we got to talk about it. Yeah. Where it's like, I don't know. I don't even fucking know what it is. Like a second ago, I thought it was Skynet. <laughs> and now like, you know, you have your company being like, yeah, we now have enterprise AI tools. Like, welcome. You're like, but what am I? Huh? Like what? And I think that's what's a really interesting thing about this as like a sort of technological advancement is before people even really understand what it is, there is like from the higher the powers that be sort of going into it being like, well, this is it. Like everyone's using it, but I'm still not sure how. And I guess that probably feeds into this whole model of generating as much, you know, excitement, market excitement about AI is by taking the angle of like everything's different because everyone is going to be using AI. Most of y'all don't know what that is, but get ready. And I think that's what also makes it very confusing for me as it's like a lay person outside of the tech sphere to just be like, wait, so are we all using it? And even now, I really, I still can't see what that is and how that benefits me. And I think that's a big part of, I'm sure, your work too, or even like any ethicist is to understand like, well, who does it benefit? Like, first, we're making this because it benefits who and how? Yeah. And I think, yeah. is, is I mean, it right now it benefits the companies that are making it? It sort of feels like that's the way it's being presented or slightly being like, yeah, you guys are going to love this, but really, it's we're, we're going to benefit from the adoption of this technology. Yeah. I mean, I think that's this crucial question is this stepping back and saying, actually, is this inevitable? And do we even want this in the first place? And I think that's what really frustrated me about the pause letter and about a number of kind of big tech figures signing onto it is that they're very much pushing this narrative of like, oh, this is like unstoppable and it's inevitable and it's happening. We've got to find ways to deal with it. And it's like, you're making it. Like you are the people literally making these <laughs> right. technologies in a lot of cases. So if you really think it's an existential risk to humanity, stop. It's honestly could even be that simple, but that you know, what makes me really then question their motives and sort of coming forward with a lot of this kind of very doom and gloom language. Um, I think it's also interesting if you look at, for example, countries as national AI strategies. Um, so if you look at, say, like China and the UK and the US and these countries that are now thinking about what their national long-term AI strategy is going to be, they also very much frame it around the idea that AI is completely inevitable, that this is going to be the transformative technology for imagining the future, for geopolitical dominance, for economic supremacy. And again, I think as an ethicist, what I really want people to do is step back and say, I think we're actually at a crossroads where we can decide whether or not we think these technologies are good for us and whether they are sustainable, whether they are a useful long-term thing for our societies, or actually whether the benefits of these technologies are going to be experienced by very few people and the costs are going to be borne by many. Mm. Right. We talked last week of, about the scientific application that, you know, used deep learning to figure out the shapes of proteins, the structures of proteins, and that that could have some beneficial uses, will probably have some beneficial uses for, you know, how we understand disease and medicine and how we treat that. But there are ways to probably differentiate and think about these things like it, it's not you don't just have to be either luddite or like ai pedal to the floor you know let, let's just 
get out of the way of the big companies. You know, it, it feels like, but but it is such a complicated technology that I think there's going to be inherent cloudiness around how people understand it and also manufactured cloudiness because it is in the overall system's benefit, the overall system being like capitalism, it's in their benefit to generate like market excitement where there shouldn't be any basically. Yeah. I mean, I think it's easy to generate this kind of nebulousness around AI because to some extent, we still don't really know like what it is. It's still more of a concept than anything else because the term AI is like stretched and used to describe so many applications. Like I spent two years interviewing engineers and data scientists in a big tech firm and they would sort of grumble, well, 15 or 20 years ago, you know, we didn't even call this AI and we were already doing it. It's just a decision tree. You know, again, it's kind of part of that branding. But also we have these, again, thousands of years of stories and thinking about what an intelligent machine is. And that means we can get super invested in super cloudy very, very quickly. And yeah, I don't want people to feel bad for being scared or being cloudy about these technologies. Like it is dense and confusing. But at the same time, I do think that it is really important to come back to that question of what does this do for us? So, you know, the question of like, Luddism or being a Luddite, I think is really interesting because I, you know, personally, I do use AI applications. There's certain things about these technologies that really excite me, but I'm really sympathetic to some of the kind of old school Luddites who weren't necessarily anti-technology, but were really against the kinds of impacts that technology were having on their societies. So the way that new technology is like, um, I think it would be things like spinning and weaving were causing mass unemployment and the kind of broader ramifications that was having for people in the UK socially. And that kind of has quite a scary parallel to today in terms of thinking about maybe what AI will bring about for the rest of us who maybe aren't researchers in a lab, but who maybe might be replaced by some of these algorithms in terms of our work and our output. Yeah. Can you talk at all about open source like models of, because, you know, when we talk about this idea that corporations have all this power and are incentivized to do whatever is going to make the most money, which in a lot of cases is going to be the thing that removes the friction from consumption decisions and, you know, just how people interact and do these things, which, as you guys talked about in your episode, like removing the friction, like friction can be really good sometimes. Sometimes your system needs friction to stop and correct itself and recognize when bad shit when things are going wrong. But, you know, there's also a history in even in the U.S. where corporations are racing to get to a development and ultimately are beat by open source models of technological organizing around like getting a specific solution. Do you have any hope for like open source in in the future of A.I.? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm really interested in community forms of development. And I think open source is a really interesting example. I think we've seen other interesting examples around things like collective data labeling. Um, And I think that these kinds of collective movements, on the one hand, seem like a really exciting community-based alternative to the concentration of power in a very, very narrow segment of tech companies. On the other hand, though, I think community work is really hard work. We had um, Dr. David Adelani on our podcast, who's a very important figure in Masakana, which is a grassroots organization that aims to bring 
some of the over 4,000 African languages into natural language processing or NLP systems. And he talks a lot about how the work he does with Matakana is so valuable and so important, but it's also really, really hard because when you're working in that kind of collective decentralized environment, it can be much slower. And as you said, there can be a lot more friction in that process. But counter to this move fast, break things kind of culture, sometimes that friction can be really productive and it can help us slow down and think about, you know, the decisions that we're making very intentionally rather than just kind of racing as fast as we can to make the next newest, shiniest product. I was, I'm also curious, like in your work too, you know, you talk about how you know, like looking at these technologies, especially through a lens of like feminism and intersectionality and, you know, BIPOC communities and things like that. And I know like broadly in science, there's like, you know, there's an issue of like language hegemony in scientific research, where if things aren't written in English, a lot, sometimes studies just get fucking ignored because like, I don't speak Spanish or I can't read Chinese. Therefore, I don't know if this research is being done. And therefore, it just doesn't exist because the larger community is like, we all just think in English. Like, so how do you like, you know, specifically, because, you know, when, when hearing the description of your work, help me understand, like, and, and the listeners too, like of how we should be looking at these things from that also from that perspective, too, because I think right now we're all caught up in like, it's fucking Skynet. And it's not, you know, well, hold on, like, there are other subtleties that actually we should really think deeply about, because to your point, I feel like those are the dimensions of an emerging technology or trend or something that go- gets ignored because to your point, it's like the thing we, of course, it's, in, it's, it's unequal, of course, it's racist or whatever. Um, but what are those, like, what are those ways that people need to really be thinking about this technology? Yeah, I mean, I think English language hegemony is a really good example of this broader problem of the more subtle kinds of exclusions that get built into these technologies. Because I think we've all probably seen the cases of AI systems that have been really horrifically and explicitly racist or really horrifically sexist from, you know, Tay, the chatbot that started spouting horrific right-wing racist propaganda and had to get taken down through to Amazon hiring tool that systemically discriminated against female candidates. These are really, I think, avert Mm. uh, depictions of the kinds of harms AI can do. But I think things like English language hegemony are also incredibly important for showing how existing kinds of exclusions and patterns of power get replicated in these tools. Because to an English language speaker, very crucially, they might use ChatGPT and think, this is great. This is what my whole world looks like if they only speak English obvious to anyone who is not a native English speaker or who doesn't normally speak English, it's going to be an incredibly different experience. And that's where I think we see the benefits of these tools being really unequally distributed. I think it's also important because there's such exclusions in which kinds of languages and forms of communication can get translated into these systems. So for example, I work with a linguist at the University of Newcastle, and she talks about the fact that there's so many languages, like signed languages, and languages that don't have a written language, that are never going to be translated into these tools and never are going to benefit from them. You might think, okay, well, do these communities want those languages translated into an AI tool? Maybe, maybe not. I'd argue, of course, it's up to them. But those communities are still going to experience the negative effects of AI, like the climate cost of these tools. And so I think it's just really important, like you say, to think about what kinds of hegemony are getting further entrenched by AI-powered technologies. All right, great. Let's uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and finish up with a few questions. We'll be right back. Uh-huh. 
Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. You like to watch new stuff, right, Zygang? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. And don't miss the new season of The Kardashians, uh, starring The Kardashians, of course, and Season 5 promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set on the tropical Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island, and secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back, and D.A.R.E. is somehow still a thing. <laughs> Having been born in 1980 and, like, lived in, like, all my early memories are in a decade where it was just your brain on drugs, like, ju just this weird, straightforward, just say no to drugs. I thought drugs were a thing people were going to make me do, like, force... <laughs> into my right, right. bloodstream right. when I got mm -hmm. to high school. Well, that's only in Seattle, Jack. If you drive through Seattle, that will happen to you. That will happen. Right. They will yeah. force through, it actually through your through car. The they have yeah. Through yeah. your car window. Yes. Yeah. Well, you can't. It, you have to have your windows up. Come on. They're, they're going to blow heroin into you. <laughs> and you, you have to have the air recycling in your, air con in your car obviously, air conditioning or else the heroin gets in. But so I, <laughs> I think we assumed that the D.A.R.E. program went away, most of us, right? Yeah. Until but I saw actually, I saw some people outside of a Best Buy, like same, trying Best to Buy, promote. Yeah. Did you see that? Wait, you saw Dare people yeah. outside of a Best Buy also? Yeah, it was the Best Buy. <laughs> yeah, Dare people stand outside of the Best Buy. I don't know if they have like a, a, a like. There's a contract where a they deal, work together. Right. Yeah, but that's where I saw Dare people too. <laughs> I've seen Dare people outside two Best Buys before yeah, with like same. trying to get you to sign something. And I, all I said was like, y'all are, what the fuck? I was like, nah, man, I'm here for <laughs> Where a Where the hell did y'all come from? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm here for a mouse pad. Now leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, there there's obviously a epidemic of overdose deaths. Like the thing that, 
Pee Wee Herman was saying in that PSA that we listened to up top is that was not true of crack. Like crack didn't have like a epidemic of ODs, I don't think. But it did like that. That is happening with fentanyl. Like fentanyl Mm -hmm. is causing a massive spike in overdoses like and you don't know if there's too much and people like that does seem to be like the thing that they told us about drugs in the 80s has absolutely come true. It's called and, manifesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, <laughs> they manifested yeah. this. Yeah. It might this not current. be this one, but one will happen and we will go fucking hog wild over this shit. Yes. So they've decided, OK, this is real. No more fucking around. Let's go back to that idea that was proven to not work and was just a way to get money to funnel money to cops. Right. Essentially. Mm. Yeah. So the D.A.R.E. program is being brought back to several school districts following a prolonged absence, this time with a specific focus on fentanyl. Doesn't seem like they've learned anything from the first time. Like the, the thing that people say was wrong with the D.A.R.E. program in the first place, first of all, that it was cops. Cops mm-hmm. going into classrooms. classrooms. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That part. Second of all, they were doing it too early. They were targeting mm-hmm. kids who weren't really... They're trying to, like, get it in kids' brains before, right. like, drugs were a real thing to them. Yeah. And it's just like, it. that's why it didn't work for me. My drug was Power Rangers. At yeah, eight. right. Like, I don't like. I have no idea what a crack pipe is. You know. Yeah, yeah so, totally. Or like, yeah. I knew it from a movie, but like, Same, other than that, right. I was like, yeah. I mean, at I've eight. seen seen New Jack City, but yeah, that's not that's not how I live. So mm-hmm. yeah, what? Because mm-hmm. I think what. I think I was in fifth grade. Yeah, same. I was probably in like fourth or fifth grade when they started yeah. pushing dare down my throat. And I just remember being like, this is, if anything, you're educating me on how, like, how to, dope yes. drugs are. Yeah. Right. Yeah, That's yeah, all yeah. that was. That was like mm-hmm. my first real conversation about drugs where like the cop brought drugs into the classroom and we yeah. passed it around. It looked <laughs> you smell that shit. pipe? That's yeah. the worst smell you're ever going to smell. I remember yeah. him saying that. Like, I was like, that smells good. That's cool. Yeah, you're like, fine. You're actually, it setting me cigarette up smoke. for failure, but go yeah, on. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Yeah, um, it was. I didn't realize it was created by uh, the LAPD chief of police, Daryl Gates, Gates, baby. Who his thoughts on uh, recreational drug users is that they should be uh, taken out and shot. Mm. So, oh, well, okay. It's so a very, on, like, humane approach mm. to yeah. drug abuse. He was Duterte and, before Duterte. Yeah. Duterte yeah. got his shit from Daryl the, Gates, the, dude. the mm-hmm. Johnny Appleseed of the D.A.R.E. program. <laughs> By, at its height, D.A.R.E. was being taught at a whopping 75% of schools. Uh, by 1998, it was reportedly costing taxpayers $600 million a year. Thanks. Yeah. And that is wild. The, pre- the presentations were just full of racist mm-hmm. dog whistles yeah. or just not dog whistles, just racism, like pointing to the broken black family as mm-hmm. the source of the drug crisis. <laughs> yeah. Going to a predominantly white school, have the officer be like, Miles, you know about that? Yeah. 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 Does right. your parents, what? your what family? Fuck? Yeah. You're like, um, I have no idea what this is. I always see your mom picking you up. Where'd right. <laughs> wish, yeah, wish dare. You're like, man, get out of my life. But no, okay. the thing that always bugs me about dare was like, it's like the gum theory. Do you, I don't know if you all are familiar with what I, I call it the gum theory. It may not be real, but I think about it. It's like when you tell some, like when you tell kids to not chew gum in school, 
they're gonna chew gum because yeah. you're telling the whole them not. underground gum racket. Yeah, there was a right, whole cool. like I was the girl that was bringing the gum to school to give to everybody. Yeah. Like, what are you? So like, Dare was always like, it was so dumb to me because I'm going. You're telling kids not to quote unquote do something, and all you're doing is you're just piquing their interest. But yes, it was very much riddled in anti-blackness, and that is something that I've always had an issue with when it comes to this program. It's, yeah. You're paying the least cool, least trustworthy people mm-hmm. in your community to come into school and talk to the ki- the part of your community that most despises them. Right. <laughs> and, and, like, they and they put drugs on people. They put drugs on people. Yeah. So how are you going to tell? Yeah, I don't know. I've always had issues with D.A.R.E. I've always had issues with the police. But I, I will say very openly that I think D.A.R.E. is just a way to make black people look worse than what the world already does. So yeah, just yeah, reinforce yeah. like the mm-hmm. police perspective on what drug use even Policing. is. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's it's black people mostly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then also like getting kids like snitch on their parents and shit yeah. like that. It's like absurd. <laughs> they have Tell so me I where the drugs that, are. Yeah. I remember them having a box that you put anonymous notes into yeah. the dare box. And then at the end of the class, the dare officer would read the questions and this was just a thing that smartasses used to, like, be you funny, know, talk, make yeah. them read stupid shit. But yeah, apparently it ended like that. Re- that dare box resulted in children like narking on their parents and being removed wow. from their own homes by social services because they revealed that their parents were taking drugs, aka smoking a little bit of pot. Wow! So really cool problem solving there yeah. <laughs> creating fucking just well, and then horrible also, situations but like to dr john's point like it it's like verifiable that dare did fuck all to prevent kids from using drugs right yeah 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 the stats are officially in and it <laughs> w- either had no effect or uh, made children slightly more likely to use drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. at an early age. I'm I'm telling you, it did because I legitimately wanted to smoke PCP. Because <laughs> of what the dare officer told us. Yeah, he said, "I'm not joking. I'm here with my fucking it's best friend." It's not friends. funny, but it's so funny. I know, but yeah. this is my fucking tan, like my 11 no. year old brain, yes. right? Same. Officer, first of all, the first thing we always ask him at the top of every dare class was, "Can we hold your gun?" Yeah. He never, yeah. and he was like, no, there's no way. But we asked it every time. He's like, you guys have to stop asking. Like, well, can you pull it out and show us the bullets? And he's like, no. He's like, we have to get going. He's like, what is that? And then, like, we mm-hmm. have kids who, like, new guns, and he would always get annoyed. But so he's talked about this, like, so we're, we're going to talk about PCP, angel dust, shit like I, that. He I said, got this exact same speech. That's right. crazy. He mm-hmm. said he went to a call at a jack-in-the-box where a guy had just beamed up, smoked some PCP, and was fighting the police there. And they had they needed backup. Mm-hmm. He said when he got there, this guy who smoked PCP lifted a fucking dumpster above I, his head. I, I and, remember that story. And threw yeah. it at a cop car. Yeah. And me and my friends were all like, holy Yo! shit. We were like, yes. Are you for Superpowers. real? Superpowers. Yeah, yeah. We're like, how does it That's give you like, how does it give you strength? He's like, I'm not sure. It's like the drugs, the drugs duty. It's like, but then like, we're like, what is it like you, your muscles? Like, could you work? Like, I remember asking shit, like if you worked out on PCP, would you keep that strength? And he was so again, irritated by my curiosity around PCP induced superhuman strength. (laughs) But yeah, he just got mad. He's like, guys, this is not a cool thing. 
And <laughs> you, and I and it's funny that everybody, I guess someone, everybody heard this version of PCP gives you superhuman yeah. strength. Yeah. To the point where like I YouTube came story. out, I was I was scouring YouTube for footage of somebody on PCP with that kind of strength. Never found it, and I was like, was this mm-hmm. was this cop lying to me? And he right. was. Oh, oh. Mm-hmm. You believe that mm-hmm. shit? Yeah. Cop line. And so as, as the stats are coming out, the D.A.R.E. program is doing their own research, you know, and they're like, all right, well, we're going to get the DOJ to fund this study to see what the like what actually happened, what's actually going on here. Right. And a month later, for the first time in memory, the DOJ refused to publish a study it had funded for the first time ever. <laughs> wow. Because it found that the D.A.R.E. program was useless and was taking money away from programs that actually worked. Behind the scenes, D.A.R.E. went ballistic and they just kept saying this one, like every time they get, they get attacked, the D.A.R.E. program is like criticizing D.A.R.E. is like kicking your mother or saying that apple pie doesn't taste good. And then like a decade later, they were criticized or like proven to be fraudulent again. And their response was, it's like kicking Santa Claus to me. We're as pure as the driven snow. So, the, like, we're as pure as the co- Colombian cocaine we put in front of children. Pure week in, week Colombian out. flake. I just want to know where the money went. Like, there was a lot of money that was being moved in the 90s around there. And I'm just wanting oh, yeah. to know where it went. Right, right, right. To police, yeah, like- to corrupt cops. I wonder, yeah. but where, where, like, did it go into some, like, benev- benevolent police fund, I wonder? Or it was just, like, if you got that D.A.R.E. gig, they're like, oh, shit, man, you're off street, street, the street beat? Yo, you're just doing fucking D.A.R.E. classes? Oh, that's right. Right there. They were, they were confiscating luxury cars like Porsches and BMWs and turning them into D.A.R.E. vehicles, like, with a wow. D.A.R.E. decal on it that they got to drive around. They were like, like yeah. I think it becomes pretty apparent who's winning here, though. You know what I'm saying? Right. And then a kid's like, wow, the police department buys you guys cars? Like, no, we can't afford that. Drug dealers get rich enough to buy cars like this. And then you're like, oh, okay, that's the wave. Yeah. (laughs) In reality, they were doing the same exact thing that drug dealers were doing. Right. 100%. 100%. They were selling you something. It's It's ridiculous. Oh, so, but amazingly, yeah. Dare still uses the Dare box. Like they still really? have the write down questions for cops, folks. It's anonymous, purely anonymous. Uh, psych, we're mm. actually going to investigate your parents if you say they know <laughs> what any yeah. of these things are. Right. That uh, that smell familiar to you? Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. and where to? Like I could totally see be being like. Oh yeah, I know. I know what that smell is. That's weed. And then being like, "Well, yeah. How do you know that?" Uh, I, um, my parents. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like just mm-hmm. fucking panicking and throwing your parents under the bus. Yeah. I yeah, don't I mean, like, know. I don't know. I was at a reggae festival recently. That's yeah. why I know. Next question. No questions. I need a lawyer. Officer. No further questions, Your Honor. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for this week's weekly Zeitgeist. Please like and review the show if you like the show. Uh, means the world to Miles. He, he needs your validation, folks. Uh, I hope you're having a great weekend, and I will talk to you Monday. Bye.
Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.